Welcome to Side Effects with an A. When effect is normally used, it's a noun. It's already occurred. Effect is a verb meaning action. Action influences outcomes. I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne Marie Singleton. We will provoke you to think differently. Side Effects, where problems are defined, solutions exposed. Welcome back to Side Effects. I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne Marie Singleton. How are you, Anne? Doing great. How are you today, I'm Scott? Doing great. Hey, you know what happened the other day? Uh, no, tell me. So we moved into our new building up in Columbus. Right. So I took off Friday morning to drive to Columbus, and I get a ticket in oh, Walpock. No, a speeding ticket? Speeding ticket. Great, uh, great trooper. Very nice. 104 bucks. Did he ask you if you knew why he pulled you over? Oh, yeah. And yeah. did you say... You know, I, I, I said I was going to do the, the break and, the, and, like, the trunk slam. But he said, yeah, we know the trunk slam. So I was, I was just kind of settling down a little bit. So then, the reason why I bring this up, I get a call from my wife, like, 35 minutes later. She goes, you will not believe what just happened. Oh, no. She got like, a ticket, what? too. She goes, I got a ticket. And then I said, it was, it was like, what? And she was like, I know. I'm so sorry. I go, how fast were you going? She was 70. How fast was 55? I go, how much was that? I go, was it about $104? And she goes, yeah. And I go, I know. I just got one. <laughs> oh, boy. So it was an interesting Friday. That so was... today we have a guest with us today, Tom Rubens from The Accountability Factor. Thank you guys for having me. It's really a treat to be here. Now we appreciate it. So, hey, Tom, how'd you find MB? Actually, I'm glad you asked me that, Scott, because I, one of the things that I do in my work is I, I'm, I, I'm a keen observer, I would say, of culture. And I have a client uh, with whom I was discussing culture. And she said to me, if you really like culture, if you like observing culture, you must go to McGowan Raybender. And it just so happens I have a team of mine going there to observe it in a couple of weeks. Would you like to join them? And that was how I ended up here. So, so what do you do? I'm a business coach. I work with uh, business owners and their teams. Uh, I'm, uh, with the teams, I tend to work with leadership. How do you lead from the middle? Is that where you started? Like, kind of unpack, like, your background and how, like, you ended up there. I, I ended up in where I am now from having been an entrepreneur all my life. I would say that I've never really had a job beyond the paper route, uh, working in the drugstore in high school and as a busboy. Once I got out of school, I started working for myself and have been doing it ever since. I've been a commodities trader for the first probably 13 or 14 years out of college. There's no stress in that job, is there? Absolutely oh low stress. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Chicago Board of Trade. Actually, on the uh, Board of Trade and the Options Exchange, okay. both in Chicago. And towards the end on the Mercantile Exchange, too, when, when they were trading S&Ps. Uh, and, you know, that's a roller coaster. And you, it's important that you get off the roller coaster at the top, not at the bottom. Right. And as it happens, I got off at the bottom. So it was a great experience and entrepreneurially it was just what I wanted to do it was the coolest thing to be doing in Chicago at that time but uh, yeah if I had gotten off just a, a little bit earlier that would have, was it would have been a better stop for me and then the next thing I did was uh, with the the remaining few dollars I had left I put together a group of investors and we bought a minor league basketball team and interesting. It was a blast, and and I had to go out and raise a lot of money. Uh, so I put up what I did was I put up 
my last twenty five thousand dollars. I, I I gave it to a guy. I heard about a minor league basketball team that was for sale. Actually, here's how I heard about it. This was in uh, 1987. And at the time, I know it may ha- be hard to believe now, but at the time when you called information in a city, some a human answered right. the phone in that Dial city and said, directory yeah. assistance, can I help you? Right, and for those listening, it's four, it was 411, right? And, and I, I, I knew, I, I, for some reason I decided I wanted, to get in, I wanted to buy a basketball team. It really happened one morning when someone told me they were thinking of buying a minor league football team. The thought had never even crossed my mind. But in that moment, I knew I'm going to buy a minor league basketball team. All I knew was that one existed in Rockford, Illinois. I was living in Chicago. So I called. This is a little more elaborate. It's not 411. you got to call 815-555-1212. Oh, yeah. And then someone in Rockford answers the phone. And she says, you know, hello, director assistance. Can I help you? And I said, well, you know, I know you guys have a minor league basketball in town. And she says, oh, yeah, the Lightning. Uh, Can I give you the number? She gives me the number. I call him up, and I said, uh, I'd like to know where your league headquarters is. And they tell me it's in Denver, so I have to wait a couple hours because of the time, time difference. difference. And I called Denver, and uh, I said, you know, hello, this is Tom Rubens. Can I speak with the commissioner, please? I'm thinking it's kind of a joke. Like, no one's going to really put me through to the guy. Well, not only do they put me through to the guy, he was 24 years old. Oh, my gosh. And yeah, it would. But anyway, I said, you know, I'm thinking of buying a minor league team and, and I know a little bit about or very little bit about your league. Can you tell me about it? He tells me about it. And of course, there's no Googling. So he has to now send me via the mail a, um, a media guide, media kit for the league. And I then proceeded to call. There were 12 teams in the league. I called them all and I'd say things like, so Anne-Marie, in fact, there was you would think I'd be calling a bunch of guys. No, one of the one of the owners was a woman, and her name was Anne. So, Henry, t- tell me a little bit about uh, your team. And she'd tell me. And uh, So are you guys making money or what? Now, can you imagine calling an- another business owner in a competitive field and saying, so you guys making money? She probably answered you, though. Not Absolutely she answered right. me. And so did the other 11 owners. Right. And you know what's interesting? It, it, it's, it, they, they were all, it was like, no. I lost more than she did. No, I lost more than she It's like they're bragging about how much money they're losing, which is not the greatest But they thing. want to talk about themselves. It gives you a good experience into an entrepreneur, right? It's great insight. Great yeah. insight. And so anyway, all of them are losing money, and I now have to go out and raise money. And my, my pitch is, uh, yeah, Scott, uh, I think this is a really good investment. It's $25,000. Because everyone I've talked to is losing money. It's a great investment. I have to make, yeah, because I know we're going to do things differently, but I have got to make it clear to you that every team, not just currently, but every team in the history of the league has lost money. Uh, oh, really, Tom? So what's your, what, what are you going to do a little different? What do you think you've got that all these other people don't have? And this was my pitch. It's hard to believe that it worked, but this was my pitch. I said, well, Scott, uh, you know, I've been a Bulls season ticket holder now for about 12 years. And I'm not kidding. This is what I said. And I know what it takes to to satisfy season ticket holders. I believe they're the backbone of the organization. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Somehow I was able to raise three quarters of a million dollars. The fa- it's basis. the fan experience that you sold? I sold good, clean family entertainment. I'm from Chicago. That was what the Cubs delivered throughout my childhood without ever winning a game, it would seem. So you went from the commodities floor to um, professional athletes, to a business coach. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the basketball team is absolutely purely business. I wasn't playing, coaching, or doing anything. In, in sports, it, the executives have nothing to do with that piece. I was all about selling pages in the program, banners in the arena, driving our, our marketing. marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, and putting together a team of people to do that. My team all wore suits. The other guys wore uniforms. Uh, from that, put together another group of investors, and we bought a minor league uh, baseball team, and then another baseball team. But those things are—they're purely business. It's—I fan- it, it, didn't know it at the time, but absolutely business. Different levels of leadership, different levels of different degrees of teamwork, and different uh, different departments. You know, we've got a marketing department, a sales department. So, would you say that you were influential in the culture of those organizations? I think like any, I would call that an early stage entrepreneur, and any early stage entrepreneur actually is the culture. You, when, you are the, when you're the first employee, you, you create the culture. The culture is your, basically is your core beliefs. Right. And as companies get larger, I would say to you that the culture really is just the core beliefs of the company in the same way you would you would say that one about an individual. Right. And so when you work with, with companies now in your current business, right, mm-hmm. um, accountability? The accountability factor. Accountability factor. Thank you. Sure. You work with them on making sure that as they grow their business that that culture's scalable? Can I even say that? Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I would use the word scalable regarding culture, but it definitely has to be translatable, it has to be communicated, and it has to absolutely be, you have to have buy-in. And one of the things I'm, I, I, I'm working on, it's, it's interesting because we are now at the McGowan Braybender office. Right. Where the culture trumps everything, as it should. In this business, it's first about culture. So if you can't, if you're, if you are not on board with the culture, you aren't going to fit in here. You aren't going to work here. And if you are a client, you are buying the culture. That's part of, of the purchase, really. Right. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think sometimes, too, it's interesting with, with business leaders. And you probably, you get this question a lot more than I get. But uh, so an entrepreneur grows his or her company. It's going really well. And all of a sudden they say, I want a good culture. By that time, it's a little late. Exactly. You know, the, the, the culture, so, so if we were to take culture from the first moment the entrepreneur says, I'm going to start a business. I have an idea. I have a brilliant idea. And I have to sell it. Well, my first sales call, I am exhibiting the culture of my business. And as the business grows, the degree to which it succeeds is really dependent upon the degree to which that culture is, well, first of all, there are good cultures and bad cultures. So if, you, if your culture isn't functioning properly or if your culture is, let's, you know, if, if your business is all about making money, I got to figure out a way to make money. Doesn't really matter what I do or how I do. I'm just all about making money. Culturally, that's just it's that's not likely to resonate with too many people. We're, yeah, and so how do you, you know, I guess, you know, I ask you this question because you work with companies in, in all stages. I know you have a passion for, for the entrepreneur and the, the startup company and, and creatives and so forth. But how do you get a business owner to to measure that and to quantify that? And, you know, we, we've said this before, cultures like air. You know, you need it to, to survive, but it's hard to grab a hold of. 
Well, I can give you a couple real-world examples that I'm working on right now. Companies that are successful, I would even say thriving, where there are cultural issues. And that's a difficult thing to go to uh, the owner of a company and say, I see that you're making money, and I know that, that and that's great, but this is a problem. This is a cultural issue that we're dealing with. So, for example, a company where... Uh, I, I'm working with mid-level leadership, and they're having a difficult time leading because they're, the people whom they've been assigned to lead aren't listening to them. Mm-hmm. Aren't, 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 they're not following. They're not following. And I, as I see it, it's not the problem with these mid-level managers. The problem is that the business has a culture and it's really nice up on the wall as you walk in the door but it's not believed or, it's, pra- or practiced it's at, perfect it's not practiced so as a leader one in in as a leader what i am leading is my culture that is the flag i plant in the ground and we are following that i point to that flag and i shouldn't have to say a word but i think tom also what's really interesting about that is especially for an entrepreneur it's their company. Yes. It's their company. So I think sometimes somebody might come in and say, I want to be like Google mm-hmm. or I want to be like X. And from a leadership perspective, from the leaders, I mean, if, if, if they're not that person, I mean, you know, there's a saying you can fake until you can make it. But if you're not authentic in your behavior, if it isn't, if it isn't innate inside of you, then you can't pretend to be generous if you're not generous. Well, uh, Scott, not over a long period of time. And you can't pretend all. to be humble when you're not humble. So, like I had a CEO say one time, I don't want a culture and I don't need one. And the answer was, oh, you have one. <laughs> well, I don't need yeah. one. Oh, oh, you have one. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and uh, it's probably not working so well for you right now. Exactly, because what happened, it, it, using that example, how is he going to have people under him leading? How do they lead? What are, what is it that, what are we leading for? It, one of the things your, a really effective culture does is gives everybody kind of like... Uh, 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 a rally cry. Yes, it, it, good words. It gives, it a, it gives you a rally cry. So we know that when we come to work every day... We're like fighting for a cause. It's our cause. Now, this is a really good example. So you were a commodities trader. Mm-hmm. Was there a culture on the floor? That's interesting. Yes, there is a yeah, culture Yeah, and there's probably the people very motivated on that floor. Here's, what, here's what's interesting about that, the floor culture. So now, earlier I said, well, if the business is just all about making money, you know, that's really kind of a shallow culture. Well, there's nothing about commodities trading that isn't about making money. It's all about making money. It's right. Only, that's the only measure. At the end of every day, that's how we know whether we did well or not. Did we make money? But And it's a group of cowboys and cowgirls because we all work for ourselves. Wild, so, wild west. Yes. And there is absolutely a culture there. And it's a very powerful culture. You may be a complete moron and, and dishonest and horrible person off the floor. But when you are on the floor, if you lie one time, you're out. 
You haven't got no chance. Right. You have no chance ever because there's so much money at stake and, and it's so busy that if we make a trade and in an hour, it looks like that wasn't such a good deal for you and you decide to forget, you know, rip up that trading card and throw it away and deny that you ever made that trade with me, you will absolutely get away with that one time. So right. when you meet with business leaders and we're talking about culture, I, I uh, and obviously this is what you do, but... So do you understand and start to vet the passions of that leader? In other words, I mean, there's yes. just, everyone can tell a story to aspire people to follow. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, you know, um, in the example, I, I think you mentioned a guy doesn't want to have a culture or he doesn't need a culture and doesn't have one. That's, I have to have a conversation with him about, okay, you know, Scott, I get that you don't think you need a culture. You just have people working for you that are doing stuff. And I see that it's worked for you because you've reached this level of success that you've hired me so you can afford to spend money on your business. I w- Let's just take a step back and see how, you know, we got Anne-Marie over here who is working for you, obviously loyal to you, but are we giving her all the tools she needs to succeed? I would say, now that I've had a chance to talk to half a dozen of your employees, that we're not. I'm not saying you're a bad person or your company isn't successful. But I am saying that we can make all these people better and more effective for you if we give them something to grab onto. And you know what? I'm going to say that you say you don't have a culture, but you do. And here's what it is. What, whatever whatever that, that company's product is or service that they provide, I'm assuming you want to provide it in, a, in an environment of integrity and, in, and competence. Is that true? Well, you're going to say, well, of course it's ha- true. Have you ever had um, someone hire you and then say, uh, no, thank you? Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but no. Have you ever experienced that? I've had, yes. I, I, I'll describe it this way. I've had to have conversations where I knew they weren't going to end well in terms of my working relationship. Yeah. But again, for me... Or maybe you fired yourself, fired the client, fact, right? That's exactly what ultimately happens. I, I would say that I'm firing myself. Right. Because I'm walking in knowing that what I'm going to say is not likely to be received well, but I've got to come from a position of integrity, too. I can't just go in and say, well, you know, Scott's paying me, so I'm going to, as long as he's paying. tell him whatever he wants. I can't do that because yeah. that's gonna... not who I am. How do I, I... I have to, again, just like... Each of us, when we run our companies, we have to walk the talk. Yeah, it's so culture about profitability. Absolutely, positively not. Say that again. Which word? The absolutely, the positively, or the not? not. Perfect. Yeah. Excellent. Why? Well, because I would say productivity is a product. It is an end result of an effective culture. But if your culture, again, if your culture is about making money, that's so shallow. How am I going to get people to rally around that? You know, I'm going to give you a, an example from a, a prior life of mine. For those of you that listen to us regularly, you'll know I used to be a commercial banker. So I spent 17 years as a commercial banker at a, a large regional bank. And we didn't use the word culture. But when we looked at a loan transaction and we looked at the operator of that company or the leadership team of that company, which, you know, back in the, the late 80s and the 90s, it was usually one or just one or two people that owned that company. We said, are they a good operator? We didn't say, do they have a good culture? But that's really what we were looking at. So even if they could financially qualify for the loan, they could pay us back. They had good cash flow. They had good earnings. Sometimes we wouldn't approve the transaction because we didn't like the operator of the company. 
which I think translates to they had a crappy culture. And we knew eventually something bad was going to happen. We might not get that money back. And, you know, it's funny because what you said was, well, we didn't like the guy. And that, you know, culture is so much about that. You made your own cultural decision. But I just don't like this guy. You didn't even quantify what it was. Well, is he kind of smarmy or what's the deal? That, you know, that, that is what he or she is transmitting and you picked it up somehow without any definition or any. And no, we don't want to make a loan. Right. Something's not right. Right. Something we don't want to do business with that with that person. So if a client came to you and said, hey, you know, I'm interested. I'm, I'm hearing that my culture uh, I, I need to work on that. I'm getting feedback. I got your name. Like, what what would happen next? Well, first of all, let me just kind of alter that question a bit, Scott, because people don't call me and say I have a problem with my culture <laughs> because they don't recognize it. They're going to call me because they're having a problem in their business in some way. In, in the, I, I can't get my staff to do this. Or, they're describing the symptoms to you. Exactly. They're describing the symptoms of a weak culture. And then I have to go in. So the first thing I'll do is I'll go in and meet with a group of people. Uh, and then I will report back to the, the person who hired me within the company. And I'll say, okay, this is what I've observed. You have these people. It, it, there may be, well, we've got this one cancer over here. We have to cut this out because this is going to kill you. I don't care if this is a person who is what you think is the most valuable person at the company. This is a cancer. And the cancer source might be bad attitude, insubordination, or it might be, it could be something, you know, it's rarely as simple as somebody just stealing something. It, it's more about the, an attitude that, that is so toxic that it's going to spread. Um, so you're like a culture doctor. Well, yeah. So I've now got to report back on what I've observed. And what I am reporting back on is what I've seen of your culture. Now, I'm, may, I'm not going to come and say, Scott, man, your culture sucks. I don't know what you've been doing here, but this is, this is unacceptable. No, but this is what I'm observing in your company. And this is, you know, then you're going to say, okay, maybe, maybe we have to get rid of this person. Or, you know, maybe the, the question I'm going to throw back to you is, so how do, you, how do you think this happened? How do you think you ended up with six out of these 10 people uh, just hate their jobs? There's a number of things. Could be a manager. Could be a leader. Could be them. Yeah. yeah. You, can you ever transplant the leader of the company, like get a new culture with a new person underneath the owner? Like, that would take a really enlightened leader. And I'm not saying it couldn't happen. But that think about how enlightened that person would have to be for you to be able to say to him or her, you're the problem. Right. You have a great product or service. Well, big companies do it, right? They just fire their leadership team and they get a new one. Big publicly traded companies. And yeah, but culture I, shifts. But yeah, these but are I'm private not, companies. Yeah, but I'm not. I, I, I would disagree with that. I mean, yeah. I would. Just curious. Yeah, because I do think that from a from a leadership perspective, I mean, it is the leader that carries the torch of that culture. Mm -hmm. It's their beliefs. Uh, it's the way they behave. They'd have to step aside, I'm guessing. Well, yeah, and I'm not really because I I think even Tom, what would be even more interesting is a leader, and you've probably seen this, would tell their staff, "Hey, I really like what Tom's saying. Go deploy that, <laughs> right? And, and go again, go make that happen. Make that happen. And again, that's not going to happen without the approval of the leader. So the 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 conversation has to be where he or she sees, ah, yeah, there is a problem. And it's, it takes a really enlightened leader to see that he or she is the problem. Right. But even a small change can make a huge difference, right? I mean, sure. we're not talking about most companies have paid attention and they've tried really hard. I mean, 
I mean, I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs over 25 years, and most of them care about their company and their employees. They just don't see those little things that they could make a change. So you work with people and make a little change, and do you see a big difference in some cases? Well, yes. Oh, absolutely. And and also, remember, I, I, I approach the universe assuming that everyone's doing their best and, and is then their heart's in the right place. So let's use the example of a company that hires me. I, I, I meet a few of the people, and I see that we have a cultural issue, and I see that it comes from the top. I'm not going to assume that that's what he or she wants, and I'm further not going to assume that they're evil or bad or, you know. No, I'm going to assume, ah, they don't really understand how that's happening. Uh, I'll give you an example of, of a company that I'm working with now where one of their problems is that they tend to, uh, the, the, a book, I don't know, it's got to be 30 or 40 years old now called The Peter Principle. Oh, sure. Okay, so where they promote until you reach a point where you're no longer effective. And so now they've been in business for a while, a very successful company. They've got probably 30% of their leadership should still be in, in service. Right. But they were really good at it, and now... The, and we have an owner who doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Sure. And doesn't know how to say, Scott, you know, man, you were the greatest at that thing you used to do, and you're not doing it anymore. I, you know, And so now what happens is Scott's stuck in a job that he's not any good at. And what happens? He's not enjoying his life anymore either. Right. He knows he's not good at right. it. And that is the sort of thing that can, you know, because I want to assume the best about everybody. So. That's how a culture can, it kind of, hmm, comes back down, not so good anymore. Because now the people that work for Scott, that he manages, are really bumming hard. You know, one of the things, Tom, too, that, um, and we're, uh, we're almost at the end here, but there's a book out that I adore called Culture Eats Strategy for Lunch. And, and I have a lot of people that probably vet that or just say, Scott, I don't believe that. I'm like, you know, actually, uh, a great culture will never tolerate a bad st- strategy. Right. A poor culture will tolerate any strategy because they don't because they don't care. But if if people wanted to reach out to you, uh, so do you have a website? Yeah, uh, theaccountabilityfactor.com. Okay. Okay. We'll put that out there on our yeah, on absolutely. our website healthierbirthdays.com so people can get to it through that. Yeah, and if is there any material that we could put out on healthierbirthdays.com for our readers to uh, to uh read? At this point, I have some. I can definitely give you some work okay. in in this particular subject. Uh, yes, I can. I I have to say, you talk about healthierbirthdays.com. That is one of the things that is so remarkable about your culture. In that, what you've created with healthy birth. Our goal is healthy birthdays. Right. Who doesn't want healthy birthdays? And what you've created is, you said rallying cry a few minutes ago. Now, I'm not coming to work to sell insurance. I'm coming to work to create healthier birthdays. And, man, do I have a great reason to go to work in the morning. Right. Selling well, insurance, not so much. That yeah, because that doesn't sound that tears. exciting. Exactly. Yeah. Right. No, but, you're exactly right. And we were very intentional about that. How do we get Kathy at the front desk excited about um, working at McGowan Braven? We adore Kathy. How do we get everybody in the organization to say, look, our creed, our mantra, our vision is to create healthier birthdays in our community. So we want to thank you for coming on our show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. 
uh, for being here. So if you need to get in touch with us, you can reach us at Ann at HealthierBirthdays.com or Scott at HealthierBirthdays.com. And thank you so much for being here, Tom. My pleasure. Thanks. I wish you guys the best on your podcast. Thank, thank you. you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening and opening your mind. If you're interested in learning more, you can reach us at scott at healthierbirthdays.com. Or Ann at healthierbirthdays.com. We hope you'll join us next time on Side Side Effects. Effects.